0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks all wordplay should be illegal and anyone who breaks the law should be severely punished. But in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the Red Chair is Molly Barton, the CEO of Serial Box. That's cereal spelled Serial, spelled S E R I A L. It's an app that delivers fictional stories to its users in a serialized installments every week. Each episode is available both as an ebook as an audio file. Molly, welcome to Recode Decode.
2: Thank you. Happy to
1: be here. Thanks for coming in. Um, so I want to talk. I'm really interested in this area, and so there's been a lot going on in it, and different things have been tried, and and the sort of how we read and consume. I guess books, in a lot of ways, has changed. So, talk a little bit about the, how you got to this first. How did you create Serial Box and start sure. early? Like, how did you move to something like this?
2: Sure, um, I came to Serial Box from traditional publishing. Actually, mm-hmm. I started as an editor uh, at Penguin, mm-hmm. and I worked on. So fiction. that was your goal to be a fiction. You know, I thought I was going to be an editor college, for my yeah. life, and. Mm-hmm. Um had a great editorial job at Viking, and I worked with writers like Terry McMillan who mm-hmm. wrote How Stella Got Her Groove Back, and I also edited a book by Nick Hornby who wrote mm-hmm. About a Boy and High right. Fidelity. So I thought that's what I was going to do, but I ended up working for the president of the company. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up having this kind of ringside seat to digital transformation Mm -hmm. within publishing. Well, talk about that because people don't remember what was happening. This was—what year were you doing this? This was in 2007, 2006. Right, so things had
1: already gone far, like, in terms of people. And Amazon, obviously, had made its— impact on things in the the mid-90s to the mid-2000s with Mm -hmm. selling of books and then and Google the same thing Mm -hmm. with their whatever they were doing there with their books. Scanning, Scanning. Lots of books. Yes, I remember.
2: And Amazon had, yeah, taken hold in terms of delivery of physical books. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that was right around the time when the Sony Reader mm-hmm. and the Amazon Kindle came right, out. came out. So eBooks had, sort of became a real thing. Mm-hmm. And after earlier attempts with Rocket Books, about 10 years before that, mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of work required to digitize all the files, to get contracts agreed, to make sure that we had the rights to distribute digitally. And so I was sort of knee-deep in that, building the team and building the capacity to support this new business line, and was really excited because I thought, oh, it's going to open up a whole new area of audience that maybe we're not reaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And what we found was exactly the opposite, same books that were selling on Physical in the New York Times bestseller list. We're also selling an ebook, right? And so over time, I really began to focus on how we can grow the audience. I was mm-hmm. really frustrated by a lot of the typical ways of operating in traditional publishing. I Talk felt about like it that because there's a reason I don't write books anymore.
1: I I literally was sitting in a room. I think maybe Random House, one of the Random House divisions, were my book. And they, the first experience was. I was writing about the coming internet and what it was going to how it was going to impact all of media, mm-hmm. and so I had a sense that things were going to go awry, and and I talked about that a lot in the in the first book. By the second book, I sort of sat in a room. I remember sitting in a room. It was a different editor, um, and saying, if I had to kill everyone here except for two people, like everyone involved in this book. The only people who would be left would be me and Jeff Bezos, as far as I could tell. Like, I could hire an editor. I could hire a distributor. He would be the distributor. I could hire a copy editor, publicist, and stuff like that. But y'all aren't – where is your value? You know Mm -hmm, what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. because they didn't do a lot of editing anymore. There wasn't a lot of guidance, which is what you would – and I remember thinking a a thousand-word Wall Street Journal article got more attention than my – the editing of my book it mm-hmm. was really interesting my second book not the first one the first one was i had john carp doing it it was he was great mm-hmm. it was he sort of the older times and so and and i had a great editor too i just think she was hamstrung too but like mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. speed and everything and so i, I don't blame the online the line editors essentially who were really trying really hard to shape things but it was it was a different experience completely mm-hmm. and so i just think why would you write a book anymore like mm-hmm. what what's mm-hmm. the plus of it
2: right like yeah no i mean a, a truly great editor or publisher does have a, a really special skill which yes. is dialing deep into an individual's style and contribution mm-hmm and kind of honing that and shaping it and helping put context around it and help people understand why this is so important right now and how it relates to everything that came before and how it's going to shape what happens next year. And that's really important work. Yeah, Yeah. it is a, a certain kind of wisdom and skill. But you're right. I mean, the sort of conglomeration and corporatization of publishing means that a lot of uh, the acquisitions editors have very little time to actually do developmental editing, and they're expected to, you know, attract works that are essentially done. Mm-hmm. And then it's uh, a lot of the onus is on the writer to drive mm-hmm. audience, and mm-hmm. then the publisher gets 85%. Right, exactly. No, deal. I,
1: the economics, I was like, no, thank <laughs> you. I could do this myself. I remember thinking this. So right. what didn't you like about it? You like, what That what, were those things?
2: Those things, but also sort of how self-important... Um, the industry was, and the one of the basic problems is if you just look at the way that the editorial teams are staffed, you know, those are the gatekeepers – Supposed to be sifting through everything that's out there and finding the best stuff, but if you make the salaries of those jobs so low that only children of you know privileged families mm-hmm. can afford to take those jobs, right. Right, by th- your very nature of the structure of the industry, really narrowing mm-hmm. who you can address as an audience. So I right. really wanted to. Open things up. So, around those years, I was working on. So, what um, things did you work on to try to so so getting I on the e
1: reader? Really
2: tried to engage with self publishing. Mm-hmm. I actually applied for a million and a half in innovation funding from Pearson, the parent company, mm-hmm. and started a platform called Book Country, which was essentially a highly professionalized version of Wattpad. Mm-hmm. where anyone Explain could, that. So, anyone could post their work in progress if they gave feedback to somebody else who already had their work on the platform. So it was Mm -hmm. basically a huge online writer's workshop focused Mm -hmm. on science fiction, fantasy, mystery, crime, and thriller, because those Mm -hmm. are the categories of writers who are really open to fan feedback. Mm -hmm. And so from Penguin's perspective, the idea was, you know, we'll get a lot of data about what's happening on the platform and be able to invite some of the more successful authors, you know, into a traditional contract – but I really was like, you know, self-publishing is taking hold. Um, I think it was around that time Clay Shirky said, you know, publishers are a button, <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to open the frame and sort of experiment with what the real value was, mm-hmm. and um, do a better job than the music industry had done, kind right. of proving what they're worth. Right. Yeah. Right. And so as time went on, I began to really focus on audio and ebook growth globally. Mm-hmm. I shifted away from working for the U.S. company to reporting to the global CEO. That's Marjorie, and so, right? uh That was uh, John Makinson okay. who reported to Marjorie. Mm-hmm. And so it was a $300 million global business. And one of the ways that we were expanding it was through geographic expansion. You know, I opened mm-hmm. trade in 15 markets. but. I was still really wrestling with format, mm-hmm. and I was inspired by the history of Penguin. Penguin's a really interesting company, started in the 30s mm-hmm. in London by a guy um, called Alan Lane, who felt that, felt really passionate about the idea that everyone should be able to buy a great book for less than the price of a pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And he also was really interested Penguin in— classics. Yeah, he was really interested. So he went around town and bought paperback rights— do all these great books, and the publishers were like, "Oh, paperbacks!" Right. Oh, Homer. <laughs> right. Really. Who would want a paperback? And pa- you know, everything published in paperback is such poor quality. Sure, mm-hmm. you can have these rights, mm-hmm. and so he created the paperback format. And he also really messed around with distribution. He built uh, vending machines on railway platforms mm-hmm. to catch people on their commute and make sure that they had that's technology something great to read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was really inspired Meet by the customer his Where they are exactly? Words, right? Right. Yeah. And so uh, I was inspired by that. I started playing around with short format and uh, asking authors to write sort of prequels to their big upcoming novels so we could release a digital short. All of the work was around, like, how can we have more contact with the fans than waiting for two years from now when the next book is available? And the reason for that was I sat in, you know, 22 financial meetings a month looking at What drove success, and Mm -hmm. the clearest way to improve your chances of success is to come back on a regular cycle Mm -hmm. with a similar book to what you released before. Right. So it's called the dancing monkey theory.
1: Yeah, you keep dancing the monkey. Keep doing it. Yeah,
2: over and over. It's a dancing. Eight o'clock. Yeah. (laughs) So um, the traditional publishing response to that was to ask the most successful authors to write faster, Mm -hmm. so you could publish three books a year instead of one. I was like, well, that's a lot of work, and most authors can't keep up with that schedule. And then the quality goes down. Quality suffers dramatically. So right. I was looking instead, actually, at what the music industry was doing mm-hmm. with unbundling the album mm-hmm. and taking each piece of content and using it as a marketing tentpole in a really organic mm-hmm. way.
1: Right. Like so giving yourself a
2: real reason to go right. back out right. to the fan right. base. Right. right. And just so happens in publishing and, and reading, there's a long history of serialization. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I read. Of ran, course, Armistead Mopin and Charles Dickens. and Exactly. Right. Yeah. In newspapers. In newspapers and weekly magazines. Mm-hmm. And so I actually learned recently that everyone talks about Charles Dickens as the kind of grandfather of serialization, which is true, but the same year that he wrote the Pickwick Papers, which was his first serial, mm-hmm. um, in France, a newspaper owner. Uh, was looking to take his weekly newspaper and make it a daily paper. And he was trying to come up with a reason why people would buy the paper so mm-hmm. much more often. Um, and so he asked the writer, and I will butcher this pronunciation, but Honore de Balzac, um, to write a serial so that each day a new installment was there in the paper and people mm-hmm. had a reason to go and spend there whatever amount the paper was at that point. So there's this long um, history of sort of a tight relationship between weeklies, magazines, newspapers, and books, quote-unquote. Um, but it's somehow fallen away. Right. So I decided to, to run some experiments and ask authors to let us release pieces, their, pieces of their books out in conventional distribution mm-hmm. through Amazon, Apple, Google – And we uh, four and five X'd the sales just through breaking. Because people got a taste. They got a taste. you know the
1: porn industry did that? (laughs) No. No, no, no. no. Tell me. Well, well, that's it. That's it. They just released bits. Mm. Here's a little bit. Now would you like to buy more? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was very smart. as a woman. I can't remember. She was brilliant. It was back in the 90s. I was like, this woman's on to the right idea. Got it. A lot so the, of ideas The atomization
2: start- of content started with porn. Right, it did. Yeah.
1: It did in a lot of ways. Uh, actually, Tinder was born from a porn idea. Anyway, they are very creative people, let me just say, and they have got a lot of competition, so they yeah. know how to be creative. So uh, uh, taking it way back from porn, so you saw this, and it worked really well. So what did that say to you?
2: It worked really well, and so I thought, okay, there's really an opportunity here at the same time, I was seeing a lot of the data around the growth of audiobooks, mm-hmm. which happened slightly behind the growth of ebooks, but was perhaps a little bit more organic in mm-hmm. its growth. Ebooks were driven so aggressively by device sales. Mm-hmm. Right. And audiobooks just started to creep up and creep up. You know, so many people have a smartphone, so they didn't need a separate device. And The cost of audio production was coming down, so the Mm -hmm. breadth of catalog was much uh, richer. Mm -hmm. And so I was seeing that audiobook listeners were getting younger and younger and bigger and bigger audience. Mm -hmm. over 30% growth in audiobooks last year. You know, there's so much heat around podcasts, and obviously it's a huge industry, uh, but audiobooks is a paid industry that's been around for a long time. So that said to me, okay, we've got this growth in audiobooks clear success in breaking books into pieces Mm -hmm. and an environment where everyone feels overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So let's take these obvious patterns and evolve the delivery of book
1: content. All right. So that's where you started Cereal Books. When we get back, I want to find out what you did then. We're going to find out uh, in the next section what you did and how you decided to move to be an entrepreneur. We're here with Molly Barton, the CEO of Zero Books, and we're going to take a quick break now for our sponsors.
0: Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: We're back with Molly Barton, the CEO of Serial Box. How do you describe it? So you were doing this and seeing signs that people like this, and you were, you were actually doing something that had been done, too, in mm-hmm. a different
2: format, but mm-hmm. you were
1: just technologizing it, whatever yes. the word is. So wh- what made you move to doing this? What was the impetus that got you there?
2: Well, the success of the experiments that I had run within a big organization. Within a big organization really made me feel confident there was Mm -hmm. something there. Mm -hmm. And I had sort of been bitten by the bug, entrepreneurial bug. I sat on the board of three startups that Pearson and Penguin had invested in. So I'd been all, you know, consumer-facing book retail Mm -hmm. platforms. So one in New York called Bookish, which was the book industry's attempt at Hulu, mm-hmm. one in Australia and Melbourne called Book World, mm-hmm. and then one in London called Ebooks by Sainsbury's. Mm-hmm. So I really sort of got in there with those teams because they were very small mm-hmm. and up against a huge task that was much right. too ambitious for what's possible for a startup. That's right. mm-hmm. uh, what happens when big companies start. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: I, get was, in there. So, I was at the Wall Street Journal with my startup. That's yeah. a delight, every yeah. step of the painful journey.
2: I remember. Um, So, I had seen a lot of the mistakes Mm -hmm. of, you know, how to drive, try to drive innovation within the industry. So, I felt there was a good opening because I had had the background. I had a mix of editorial experience, um, global experience, you know, digital and audio uh, business experience. so... And I love working on product development. I had Mm -hmm. my team at Penguin had built a lot of apps Mm -hmm. in collaboration Mm -hmm. with other media companies. So I I love being in a situation where, you know, I'm switching tasks all day. And so startup environment is great to me. So I left um, about four years ago. And interestingly, my business partner, I didn't know at the time, he was working on the same concept. Mm -hmm. We were introduced by um, Evan Ratliff, who started The Adivist. Sure. And uh, he said, Molly, you know, I've met this guy, Julian. Uh, He's working on serialized content, and you're the only other person that I know, so I figured you should meet Mm -hmm. him. I don't even know if he's smart. (laughs) Ah. And so we got on the phone, and he said to me, we had this really awkward call because we were competing. Mm -hmm. And so within a couple minutes, though, he dropped all pretense and said, you know, really, my ambition is to be HBO for reading. Mm -hmm. And I started laughing. I was like, well, I don't think it's that bad an idea. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I literally have that phrase written in my deck that I've been sharing oh, wow. with investors. Wow. So we had—he came to the idea from— So like, from, let's join together. Yeah. So he came to the idea from the consumer experience. Mm-hmm. You know, he had graduated um, from Duke Law School and was working in the Obama administration and the mm-hmm. Department of Justice— on gun control policy, so he was like, God, this is a huge job, I don't have any time, Mm -hmm. but somehow was managing to slip in a comic book or an episode Mm -hmm. of TV and kept thinking to himself, if someone would just deliver book content to me differently, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't feel like such a psychological lift Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to start. Right, And so that made a lot of sense to him, he he, uh, spent part of his childhood in Asia. And serialized reading on phones is the dominant form of reading there, Mm -hmm. Um, has been for 10 or 12 years. China Literature is the dominant player in the space, but there are five or six other companies behind them. Um, And so we came together, got to know each other, launched in September 2015. Mm -hmm. And you raised funding from? At the outset, we did it sort of the the most honest, hardest way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) meaning... We wanted to develop a proof of concept Mm -hmm. before we uh, went out and raised external funds. So we bootstrapped. Mm -hmm. uh, We got a little bit of help from family and friends. Mm -hmm. And our first phase of the strategy was to stand up the platform. So um, So you did
1: it in a responsible way. How unusual? (laughs) Not using OPM. In retrospect.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we spent about 24 months, actually, um, before raising external capital. Proving early product market fit. Mm-hmm. And so, really, just to say it really clearly, we're evolving the delivery of book content for mm-hmm. the smartphone age. Mm-hmm. What we do is we deliver audiobook and ebook installments. That are bundled together, so you can switch back and forth Mm -hmm. between reading and listening. It knows where you are. That's astonishing. That's what I love about it. Yeah, it's great for the commute. I mean, Mm -hmm. most Americans have a twenty-two. The average is twenty-two minute commute, Mm -hmm. and part of that is walking. Part of it's riding, and so we really wanted to tune the experience to to that daily ritual, Mm -hmm. and make it easy to keep going. Right. So you can be walking to the subway, listening, hop on your train, and you're right where you are. Yep. Yep. So I still keep losing my spot in both audio and—it's uh, really irritating. Yeah, yeah.
1: Where am I? Oh, right. Did I put the thing in right? I just
2: Well, and also just that whole idea of breaking it into parts. It's so simple, but on the other hand, so useful. Yeah. If you say to yourself, okay, I know I have 45 minutes then. I can mm-hmm. fit this right. into that. Right. And so you yeah. did this proof of concept. We did that proof of concept. We.
1: Um, the what other- was yours called and what was his called?
2: I had a name called, uh, that was Signal. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And. Did he have
1: serial blocks? Serial blocks. Oh, better. Better.
2: Better. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a lawyer, so he'd already trademarked it. Okay, good. So what the heck. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, We stood up the platform. We also created, the other thing that we're doing is kind of industrializing content development. Mm -hmm. So we're using methods from television that we've adapted based on my own editorial experience. Mm So that teams of writers write serial Box originals that we mm-hmm. release. So we do distribute other publishers' content, but we have serial Box originals, mm-hmm. most of which are written by teams. So the mm-hmm. first couple of years was trying to build up uh, a small catalog. Right, of books. So mm-hmm. you're publishing books. This mm-hmm. is individuals or teams? Would, would... Teams. Meaning? Four or five writers.
1: Writing something, mm-hmm. such as that you—
2: the same way that you you know that a team of writers writes you know um, television, mm-hmm. we have a lead writer, and uh, then we hire Give an three example or of four. That so
1: people can understand. I know what you're doing, but it
2: would explain that. Sure. So uh, one example is uh, our first horror series that we just released um, about a month ago called Silverwood. Mm-hmm. And so that actually originated as a web series on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it was an anthology story structure. Mm-hmm. And we thought, wow, there's almost a million subscribers who mm-hmm. are into this show. Mm-hmm. But there's a real opportunity to come in and and write a narrative spine. Mm -hmm. So we hired Brian Keene, who's one of the best horror writers in the world. He's Mm -hmm. won the Bram Stoker Award Mm -hmm. a bunch of times. He's considered a grandmaster. And then we surrounded him by a really great team of other writers, um, including a pair of sisters who write together as the Sisters of Slaughter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And a writer who works with Stephen King quite often. Um, so we put together this kind of super group of horror writers, and um, they built a season, quote-unquote. So 10 episodes um, that at the end you've essentially read a book, but you've done it in the same way that you watch TV of like, oh, I'll try one. And then right. if you like it, you can say, oh, I want another. Right, right. This, it's just brilliant. I think this is a fascinating thing. So how
1: do they do compared? And do they, do they then the publishers want to publish them? Or you've already published them.
2: We've published them in ebook and audio. Right. And then um, we hold the rights um, in all formats. So mm. publishers uh, have come to us and licensed mm-hmm. print rights or licensed translation Why not rights. not just print formats. them yourselves
1: because it's just another business. Yeah,
2: I don't want to get into it right now. Maybe someday. But, you know, it's uh, as you experience. I mean, the then you have to talk to Amazon,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> the
2: economics aren't great. Um, but the um, we certainly may do that at some you've point. You've already
1: published it. The idea of what a publishing is is
2: different mm-hmm. you know
1: again when i think about books i'm like why well, do I don't want to publish a book i do it every day i publish a book every month mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. i mean like mm-hmm. or something like that the team of writers thing i think <clears> is kind <throat> of brilliant if you think about it
2: well i love the idea that it's not fixed in time right like i was we met with a writer yesterday who's working on a really interesting book involving some very visible political characters <laughs> and he was saying, I'd love to leave it kind of open so that I can go back and change, you know, episode two or installment two, mm-hmm. depending on what happens. Right. And it should be this kind of live right. stream because, you know, people want Kara, what right. she thinks right now. Right, exactly. Not what she thought, you know, 18 right. months ago.
1: Right, exactly. That's that's the problem with books. They're so static. They're yeah. So, that's why I absolutely don't want to. Everyone's like, I've literally been given— 30 offers of books. I'm like, no, yeah. I just don't. It's just yeah. what, 18 months from now? I don't even understand that.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I, how am I supposed to see around the corner? Right. That right. Far? It just, unless it's something like a
1: pure work of fiction or which I don't write. Mm-hmm. Or something. And I'm sort of like I have no interest in nonfiction doesn't make any sense. Even anymore in fiction,
2: to me. if you think about the difference between television and books, right? right? Like most novels are mm-hmm. finished 18 to 24, maybe 36 months before they're published and they hit your hand mm-hmm. in the store whereas television written and then shot very quickly mm-hmm. within very you know, less than 12 unrelevant. months they can pick up you know zeitgeist and what's going on in the news and fold that into the show real yeah. time yeah. so we're doing that in our fiction series which is right. really fun and, and it's interesting
1: that you pick like horror and stuff like that that's easy to do that in that you can work with a team it's harder some genres presumably right or not
2: yeah i mean i do
1: romance like this you can do what
2: yeah, I mean, we thriller. focus on the ca- for the originals that we produce ourselves. We focus on science fiction and fantasy, mystery, crime and thriller, uh, and some contemporary drama. Mm-hmm. We're starting to work with partners that we'll be announcing soon on, you know, some of the major studios, on uh, big franchise properties, mm-hmm. but we're also working with um, a few nonfiction partners. Right. So that's which is interesting, but it also frees you right
1: from being alone. Right. That's what I hated.
2: Mm-hmm. I well, hated there's no it. reason for it. I mean, every time we bring writers together um, and take them through this process that we've built, yeah. which is kind of our, our secret sauce, um, one of them will exclaim, this is magic. Mm-hmm. This would have taken me four months to figure out right. on my own. Right. We just solved it in 20 right. minutes.
1: Right, exactly. Um, so you got funding then?
2: Yes. How so much? last August we started um Meanwhile, raising- you're running a business. Right? Yes, right. yeah. So we'd sort of proven product market fit, proven willingness to pay. Um, so What do you people, people pay every week? They could either pay $1.59 each week for a given series or pay up front and get a bit of a discount. Mm-hmm. And that's for both the ebook and mm-hmm. the audio. And they get a notification on their phone each week mm-hmm. saying your epi- new episode's available. So we raised $1.6 million um, in an angel round mm-hmm. last August. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually in the midst of our seed round um and negotiating How term hard sheets. How hard is that? Hard. Yeah, definitely. Because
1: they, there's been a lot of these. There's been a few. I can't remember all of them. There was a couple.
2: Well, there've been some different things going just, on. So um, Wattpad, everybody talks about. Right. They've been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I um, describe the difference between what we're doing and what Wattpad is doing is essentially Wattpad became like YouTube for writing. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone can post, mm-hmm. um, and that's fine, and sort of opens up self-publishing sure. in a way. Mm-hmm. But really, what goes on on Wattpad is more about more similar to Instagram, where mm-hmm. it's the, right, the, the currency, mm-hmm. the social currency, is writing rather mm-hmm. than photos. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got the kind of chat fiction apps like Hooked and Yarn. I'm Hooked, sure, you've heard yeah. people talk about Yarn. them. That format is very different and much more similar to a mobile game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hooked um, is
1: where they just the text go on. It's just text get, back I, and I, forth. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. I don't know why.
2: I think, I mean, that that voyeuristic it kind of reading ended, someone else's I, the text The horror messages. ones I couldn't take. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> someone's in the house. Oh, God, someone's in the house. Someone's <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> Don't <laughs> go down, Don't down, down there. there. Yeah. <laughs> it just was like, I can't it's take it It's a little it hard. Terms. It's pretty limiting yeah. in yeah. terms of and story. And then there was
1: one other that uh, was more fiction like this broken up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a bunch of them. There, yeah. I, there were a bunch of them kind of stuff. So what yeah. is the worry that people have?
2: So uh, in terms of investment? Yeah. I think there's just, you know, well, women led, you know, I think the yeah. st- last stat I read was 2% of yes, um, venture horrible. capital it's went horrible. to women they led funding. So you add that plus, plus real reticence around media. Right. And so it's a tough. It's not a big enough business. Right. right, right, right. So um, we look to models in the marketplace like China Literature, mm-hmm. which IPO'd mm-hmm. last year uh, at a value of over $12 billion,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: raised a billion dollars in their IPO. It's a serialized reading platform. Simple Mm -hmm. as that. Like, so this just hasn't hit this market. We're ahead of so many things. You can go into education. There's all kinds of ways. Yeah. Well, and it's not. You know, we're focused on fiction for the originals because that's what we know best, and we have kind Mm -hmm. of unfair advantage there in terms of access to the talent pool. Right. But many kinds of content will benefit from this delivery. The biggest difference between what we're doing and some of the other startups that have um, tread in similar territory is that we're not kind of throwing out the whole traditional industry and saying we have a whole new format that you don't have to read you just read text messages you don't have to read any prose anymore yeah <laughs> we're taking the best of right the traditional industry and um, right. innovating on that now you do publish traditional stuff right in serialized form mm-hmm. How is
1: the, how was the reception
2: from the media the publishing industry to that they are really interested in the idea of installments. So they want to see, you know, how—what is the retention rate from one episode to the next? And, you know, it is—this th- whole idea of not asking someone to buy a whole book before they know if they want it mm-hmm. is compelling. Right. Um, Which you had proved already at Penguin. Right. Right. So, uh, so we're increasingly working with traditional publishers. Eventually, we we feel like our catalog will probably look something like Netflix, where you know there's a, a bunch of cereal box originals, mm-hmm. maybe five to ten percent of the um, content available, and mm-hmm. then we have you know the balance of the catalog we're distributing other right, content other, creators. Right, work. and what what but what does the best on this platform? Well, we have seen, you know, pretty even performance, which gives us a lot of confidence that, you know, we've been creating high-quality work. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the older um, series on the platform, Book Burners and Tremontaine, Mm -hmm. which were our first two, we've had kind of the most time to market them, so Mm -hmm. they have more substantial audiences. But more recent releases like Bullet Catcher. What was um, Bullet Catcher? Bullet Catcher is an amazing, uh, very light— um uh, fantasy set in the west mm-hmm. and it's this great relationship between a young girl and a bullet catcher who is uh, someone who can bend bullets okay and and why does that why did that do well that i think is catching people's interest it has stunning art it's beautifully written mm-hmm. and it sort of appeals to You know, anyone who was into The Dark Tower. Mm -hmm. So it's got some good comparables, and uh, we're just seeing it move out of the gate really quickly. Mm -hmm. We also recently released Silverwood, which I mentioned earlier, our Mm -hmm. first horror series. That's doing quite well. And then Dead Air. Dead Air. What is Dead Air? Dead Air is... Um, sort of our response to *Serial* and *S* Town in a way. Yeah. Um, so, is this a podcast, or it is about a young podcaster mm-hmm. um, who gets embroiled in an investigation in her um, hometown, mm-hmm. and it's set in um, the South. Written by three um, best-selling Southern American. Fiction mm-hmm. writers, right? And so we wanted so to do something. How do you decide felt, what yeah. to go for? How do you decide then what to go for? Well, so we're looking at subcategories that are trending and seeing a lot of attention and and sort of spikes in sales, and then we're also looking for kind of gaps in the marketplace based on you know series that ended fifteen years ago or TV mm-hmm. shows that have you know, a, a sort of cult following, but have fallen off. So one example is Geek Actually, mm-hmm. um, which is in some ways an updated version of Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all white women, not all straight women. And right. they met at a Comic-Con and they're friends in a Slack channel. Mm-hmm. And so um, that actually immediately attracted a bunch of film and television interests. So, right. so we're turning that into a series. Right, right. Right, in which they are having adventures together. Yes. Right, exactly. And so you're, it's sort of a
1: combination of TV and book reading. It's really interesting when you think about it. In
2: a way. I mean, we're because we're focused on the serial format, mm-hmm. it lends itself naturally to television. Right, because right. Because we're focused on worlds where... We can bring out a season two, season right. three, et cetera.
1: Right, and I'm looking at the the app right now. The so these most of these are yours. It looks like it's not at this the, point. At yeah, at this point, mm-hmm. and not the big. Is there a clip of them not to want to um, give you? All the stuff or Oh, not?
2: we just haven't asked because we've been focused on building up um, our catalog. Right. And the phase two of our strategy is rolling out these partnerships with the major studios. With the major studios. And the, the big cost is paying these people, right, to do this. And do they get a right? to the, Do they get parts of this as they
1: sell or do you give a piece to the authors? Uh,
2: we share in success with them. Yeah. Um, we have a, a revenue share, um, but we hold the, the copyright in the IP. Right, right. Have you thought about not doing that? Um, it simplifies things for film and television pretty greatly. Right. Um, to not have shared copyright amongst the yeah. team of writers. Yeah, I just think it's
1: got to change. It's really, I remember, that's the other yeah. part of like, why am I making something for you? Like, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Why yeah. don't I own all of it? Right, like, I right. Or a lot of it, or it's mine. I make sure, the cake. Sure, sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, it would be different if it's a single-authored yeah, work, right? But in many cases, like we've developed the concept, right, right, and then and we're, then we're bringing writers people. in, right. So right. and they've written two episodes, so right, right. It feels so it's much contract more work How Right. How does so, that
1: light working contract work with people?
2: Well, honestly, it's fantastic for them because it's a good complement to their own books. Mm-hmm. So you know, we work with about seventy writers, fourteen of which are New York Times bestsellers. Mm-hmm. They view their cereal box um, series as a great way to have more frequent contact with mm-hmm. their fan bases. right. Um, I actually was really inspired by reading about some of the early history of the Wu Tang clan and how they mm-hmm. built that business, mm-hmm. um, partly because I live in Staten Island, so mm-hmm. I feel. <laughs> but they um, basically built a supergroup before any of them was tremendously famous right, right. and the whole idea was uh, they wouldn't sign with a label who would make them have their individual records right. be with the same label. So they want to have their Wu-Tang label, and then each of them could go off and do their own records in right. off years. Well, yeah, the claiming of
1: your talent is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Have someone who's done it, it's really, it's, it's. I continue to do it, and they continue to resist.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, I was
1: talking to some people, about something they want me to do, and they want to own me. And I was like, I don't want you to own me. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. I don't know why. And they're like, well, you'll be more big. And I'm like, I just, I just, I'm yeah, tired yeah. of you owning people. You know what I right. mean? Yeah. And uh, so I think everyone that. should be able to do that. They are not. People are either they're not talented enough or they're not, they don't have risk aversion and things like mm-hmm. that. It's an interesting, things are, you know, in these creative fields, especially Hollywood, too. It's kind of interesting.
2: Yeah. And most of the writers who are really serious about their Career have a blend, you know, mm. where they have some work with a traditional publisher, right. But they've bought up the li- the rights to their backlist, so they're managing right. that distribution, and then maybe they have a cereal box series. So yeah. you know, in it the is, end, they can have it'll be you know, an interesting five time. Or six I think this
1: different. represents a really interesting bigger trend around that, around talent, where talent goes and how it's mm. deployed. So, what it deploys itself. Because what 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 Hollywood and the book industry thrive on is insecurity and fear, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, if I only get a book, if I don't get a book, and you're vanity. so captive in vanity, you're So captive of everybody else's efforts in a way Mm that used to be team, but it's not now. Like, it's kind of an interesting—I think Mm -hmm. about that a lot. So I love in companies like this where you can possibly do it. I think it's really hard because I think you have to change users' habits Mm -hmm. of being stuff shoved at you. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, And and even if it gets to be Netflix, which is cool, it then gets to be shoved at you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's how it all goes Mm. because it's easier to bring everything under one roof than it is to— a little more creative. All right, let's finish up talking about where it goes from here. So, you raise this money. What is a successful book to you guys? What does that look like? Well, so. Most um, books only sell like 5,000 to 10,000? <laughs> like, that's the dirty secret. Well, which right? is
2: ridiculous. Right. Um, because, you know, if you look at podcast numbers of successful podcasts, you know, <laughs> it should be much bigger mm-hmm. than that. So, uh, I mean, we have quite global and, and big ambition. Because our cost model is very efficient, we can break even on a series with mm-hmm. just a few thousand readers, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're well above that for for quite a number of our original. How do you attract people to the platform? Um, so we it's a blend of word of mouth and organic and earned media, mm-hmm. which I like to say because organic is not mm-hmm. organic. Like mm-hmm. you work for that, right? We were really happy this morning to see actually yesterday, um, iTunes sent out a list of apps you have to download before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And it was like Delta, United, Netflix, Cereal Box. Oh, like, wow. Oh, amazing. Some person in Cupertino was so, like,
1: screw <laughs> these big ones. We're picking the cereal boxes. <laughs> yeah.
2: So um, that kind of thing helps a lot, obviously. <laughs> and then we do some paid acquisition through, you know, many of the typical channels, mm-hmm. but other interesting channels. You know, we look to the early days of Netflix yeah. and sort of who they co-marketed with. Yep. Um, as smart, analogous. That's smart.
1: That's super smart.
2: And then the third piece is partnerships mm-hmm. um, with specific media companies. So <laughs> some of those are affiliate, but some of Such them are as? much more customized. Right. Um, haven't announced them yet, but um, many of the big media sites have covered, um, you know, five or six of our series as we've mm-hmm. released them, mm-hmm. and so we've started to develop um, more in-depth partnerships where they release bits of content, right. and then you know we. How, how do the big publishers look at what you're doing? Do they have interest or they? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, I kind of steer clear. Of them while we're in these formative well, years, just sitting there doing the same thing. Which I is why I started with working ones. with the studios first. Yeah, yeah, um, because Hollywood is much more. Um, well, they've had their head handed to them. They've right? had their head handed to them. They're really interested in direct-to-consumer platforms. You know, every kind of studio mm-hmm. is got one up or building one, and yeah. So they're they're sort of past the, the yeah. hurdle. And interesting, publishing is still with. Uh, Amazon.
1: Oh no. Like I'm like stop. Like mo- like that's what they're <laughs> focused on. I'm like that's not the issue. And of course right. Amazon had a four way into publishing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But who wants to sign with Amazon? It's the same difference except you're in a worse position.
2: Right? Right. Well, they I mean they have really interesting Audience insight, of course, that's that they right, don't that's share it, that's with right. traditional publishers. Right. They so. could go
1: into this, this kind of business if they thought about yeah, it. Yeah,
2: I think that um, they could be a, a they're great They're busy partner. making
1: microwaves right now, so don't worry about it. <laughs> just trust me.
2: Moving into Long Island yeah, City. They're yeah. inside
1: the house. Don't let them inside the house. <laughs> Keep the money. It's, I'm just telling you. Yeah, just, yeah. It'll be interesting. So where do you hope to go from here? Where do you, What is the ultimate goal? So, um, or where is reading going?
2: Really? Well, so, you know, reading... Is, and this is my sort of most philosophical reason for doing mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Um, it's actually scientifically proven that reading, whether you're reading visually or listening, uh, builds empathy more effectively than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that for a second, it makes sense because with any video format, you're still seeing people who are not you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas in listening or reading, you're kind of co creating. The experience, mm-hmm. and so you're much more willing to step outside of your own limits or prejudices, whatever it is. So we feel like reading is incredibly important, more important than ever, and almost therapeutic in mm-hmm. a way. The world is so busy; right. the idea of becoming immersed in a story is so relaxing, almost like meditation. Mm-hmm. And so our whole purpose is, you know, to make it easier for you to fit reading into your life and just weave it into your daily and weekly media um, diet. So uh, the next phase for us is launching these huge recognizable um, brands next year in partnership mm-hmm. with studios, uh, and then working with traditional publishers to bring more of their catalog onto the platform so that we're, we become, you know, the best way um, to— sample and— Yeah, understand. the best way for people— You know, we're never going to try to out Amazon Amazon in terms of don't. selection. Right. There's no reason to. Um, but many, many people don't know what they should read next. Well,
1: you also have providing
2: something called taste. Yeah, so we're curating, taste. making it much easier for people yeah. to um, choose something that's worth their time. Yeah, that's probably true. Anyway, Molly, this is fascinating. I'd love to
1: have you back to see what you do next because uh, it's a really. Uh, this is where the internet started with books. Like, it's a really interesting thing, and in where it's it's be interesting where reading goes because it's never been more popular. And then it's and you have so many devices in order to do it. It's a really fascinating time for that.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. you know, I feel like the internet started with books in some ways, and then there was this whole. Maybe 15 years of throwing away gatekeeping and Mm -hmm. throwing away all of that. And I think we've all come to realize you do have to pay for quality. You do. And, you know, it's really helpful to have someone guide you. So we're in the beginning of a new era. Absolutely. But
1: you give them flexibility at the same time. Anyway, it was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening. You can also find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Molly, where can people find you? And cereal box online.
2: You can find uh, cereal box at www.cerealbox.com with an S E R I A L. Correct. And I'm at Mall Barton on Twitter, and cereal box is at box Pub. Great. Now that you've done with this, go out and check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find
1: those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode, and thanks to our editor Joel Robbie and our producer Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.